0: Please remain standing for the reading of uh, God's word and our text this morning is found in the book of Acts, chapter six, verses one through seven. Acts, chapter six, verses one through seven. This is what God says. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. You may be seated. As most of you know, We've experienced uh, a lot of uh, growth here at Trinity recently. Two years ago when Mike uh, came uh, to be our pastor in May of uh, 2013, the attendance was 67. Last week it was 112. So that's almost double in two years. A couple of weeks ago, at an informational meeting we had, Mike said that uh, he was getting tired of hearing people say that church growth is a good problem to have. I suspect the reason he said that is because even a good problem has to be dealt with. And problems, whether good or bad, have a tendency to take our time and attention away from things we would rather be doing or should be doing. They cause us stress, and they are often messy. But problems are a fact of life, even in the church. Back in the late 1980s, there was a TV sitcom called ALF. Do any of you uh, remember that? It was probably the best television show that has ever been made, in my opinion. ALF stood for alien life form because ALF had crashed his spaceship here on earth. He was stranded. ALF was a lovable, hilarious, Little guy, he looked like a cross between a striped cat and an aardvark. And he was always getting in trouble. But do you know what his favorite expression was? No problem. No problem. Now that's a great sentiment to have, but totally unrealistic. There's no place for Alf in the church. Anybody who can't accept that there will be and always have been problems in the church isn't dealing with reality. They might as well be an alien life form. They're just as spacey as Elf was. The text before us this morning is reassuring. It helps us to know that even the New Testament church led by the mighty apostles who did miracles had problems. And how could it be otherwise? Church is not heaven, church is a haven for people who admit that they are sinners. And how can an organization of people who admit they are sinners who admit they continually get things wrong, not have problems. We are an imperfect people living in an imperfect world. And as long as that is true, we will have problems. Let's be realistic about that. As long as we have sinners in the church, we will also have problems in the church. But we can deal with these problems in a way that is pleasing to God and meets the needs of people. The way the problem was dealt with in this case, in Acts chapter 6, is that the ministry was shared. The ministry was shared. Church growth is always facilitated when the ministry is shared. A number of years ago, we took a vacation and we visited a large church in San Diego, California. It had over 8,000 members and 18 pastors. During the course of the sermon, the pastor told a story about a woman who had come to the pastors 15 times to ask them to come and pray with her invalid husband. Her invalid husband had been a charter member of this church and very active while he had been healthy. The pastor said, sometimes people in our church just fall between the cracks. He said, we have too many needs. We can't get we can't keep up. Just that day he said he had conducted a funeral, officiated at two weddings, and counseled with a family who had just learned that their teenage daughter had terminal cancer. And now he was preaching the Saturday night sermon. There was just too much for the 18 pastors to do. And he asked for the prayers and the understanding of the people. A couple of days later, we stopped and visited a friend of mine in uh, El Paso, Texas, who was in charge of church planting along the border for the PCA. And while he was out doing some errands, his family shared with us their frustrations about being a pastor's family. The kids said their dad was always gone. They were envious of us for the vacation we were taking. They said their dad had been promising for three years that he was going to take them to the Rockies in Colorado and now school was about to start in a week and they knew they were gonna have to wait at least one more year. His wife said that her husband had always said that when a man works for God, he has to work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 12 months out of the year. A couple of weeks earlier, this man had given his family a a big scare when he was rushed to the emergency room with severe chest pains. It wasn't a heart attack. The doctor said it was stress. Imagine that. Now, in both of these cases, it seemed to me that these pastors had missed the point, had missed the lesson of what we learn in Acts Chapter 6, pastors were never intended to do everything that needed to be done in the church. And to the extent that they try to do that, they are actually a roadblock to church growth. Because church growth is always facilitated when the ministry is shared. So how does sharing the ministry facilitate church growth? Well, I think our text this morning mentions two ways in which that happens. The first way in which church growth or sharing the ministry facilitates church growth is by freeing people up to do what God has called them to do and what is most important for them to do. The problem of the Grecian widows being neglected in the daily distribution of food was a serious problem. At the root of this problem was favoritism. In other words, some people in the congregation were being preferred over others. Now the text doesn't tell us whether this was intentional or not, or whether it was merely an oversight, people falling between the cracks. By this time, by the way, the church in Jerusalem had grown to be larger than the church that I was talking about in San Diego, and there were only 12 apostles to deal with all those people. So, one of the things we need to be careful about in the church is not jumping to the conclusion that when some people are overlooked, that it's intentional on the part of the leadership of the church or anybody else in the church, or that people don't care. Sometimes it may just be that people are not aware of the problem or because they are too busy to deal with the problem. No doubt it was the Hebraic Christians who were in charge of the distribution of food at this time. And naturally, They would have a tendency to be more aware of the needs within their group of people than in the group of of Grecian Jews. People always naturally have a tendency to favor people who they know best or who are most like them. We do the same thing. Married people want to hang out with married people. Single people like to hang out with single people so they can get married and hang out with married people. <laughs> people with kids like to hang out with people that have kids and they're aware of each other's needs as parents and the problems of disciplining children. Older people like to hang out with older people and talk about their illnesses and their operations. <laughs> that's, that's just the way it is. That's the way people are. We tend to favor people who are like us, and we're most aware of what's going on in people's lives who are like us. Now, favoritism is not right. It's a problem. It's a sin. But there's no shame in there being a problem in the church. The shame is not dealing with that problem in a way that is pleasing to God and meets the needs of people. And the way the apostles deal with this problem is very instructive. They gather the church together and then they tell the church, we're too busy to do anything about this. Now, they didn't say that in so many words what they said was look we're already employed full-time in a calling that God has given us and it wouldn't be right it wouldn't be right for them to neglect that calling it wouldn't be right for them to neglect doing what was most important for them to do in order to take on this responsibility of serving tables now you need to understand that the words here for ministry of the word and serving tables are the same word it's diakonia so both of these things are ministry and they aren't saying that what they are doing is more important than the ministry of taking care of the needs of the widows. It's just that that's not what they have been called to do. That's not what is most important for them to do. And so they tell the congregation that they need to select seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom to do this job. They are simply too busy to do it. It's not that they were too good to do it. It's just that God had called them to something else. There was something else more important for them to dedicate themselves to. You've heard that old expression about uh, keeping your eye on the ball and your shoulder to the wheel and your ear to the ground and your nose to the grindstone. Now try to work in that position. Well, the apostles weren't having any part of that kind of thinking. You see, they, they understood that they weren't, their job was not just to be busy. And so they looked to the congregation to find other men to share this ministry with. Again, it's not that they were too good for it. In fact, they show their humility in this solution that they suggest. You see they they recognized that God had gifted and empowered people within the congregation to do this kind of work. It wasn't all up to them. They didn't have to be in control of everything and they were willing to delegate this responsibility to other people in the congregation that the congregation itself would elect under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostles could have jumped right in and taken the bull by the horns and said, we've got this. And no doubt, the needs of the Grecian widows would have been met, at least for a while. But what would have been the consequences of that? There would have been a spiritual famine in the church. And maybe that explains the lack of spiritual depth and vital dynamic in the church at large today. We have pastors and elders who are simply too busy doing good things but not the things that God has called them to, the things that are most important for them to do. When I left this church back in 1989, it was called Northside at that time, but the church I went to was called Trinity in Kearney, Nebraska. And I was dismayed when I got there because the primary thing that the elders did, and they were very proud of it, was taking care of a rather extensive lawn and some beautiful shrubbery. Now, don't misunderstand, they did a good job. But that's what they did. And the deacons did absolutely nothing. None of the elders was teaching. Two years later, when I left that church, one of the elders said what he would miss the most about me being gone was the prayer times that we had together. He said they had never prayed in their session meetings before as elders. The only prayers they offered were to open the meeting and to close the meeting. Well, it will come as no surprise that that church had very little spiritual depth. Practically no impact on the community and hardly any numerical growth. That church had been there for 40 years. It had 90 people when we got there and a little over 100 when we left. We visited it last year and it was back down to 90. That's sad. And the amazing thing to me was how they bragged about their previous pastor. I can't tell you how many times they told me, well, he did everything. I remember one of the elders once uh, saying, you want to know where the light bulbs are? And I said, not particularly. He said, well, the other pastor always changed the light bulbs. And I thought, well, good for him. But I don't know why I don't want to know where the light bulbs are. That's not my job. It's not that I'm too good to change light bulbs. It's just not what I'm called to do. That's a ministry that need that needed to, to be shared. Well, but he didn't do everything, did he? Because he could only do everything by neglecting what God had called him to do. By neglecting the preaching of the word and prayer. He couldn't do everything. And God doesn't intend for a pastor and elders to do everything. The ministry is to be shared with everyone in the congregation and church growth is always and I might even say only facilitated when that ministry is shared. The second way that church growth is facilitated when the ministry is shared is that people's needs are actually met and problems are solved. Again look at the the wisdom of the Apostles in terms of how they dealt with the problem. Now, here you have two types of people, Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews, and one group is unhappy with the way they're being treated. In other words, there's a division, very possible in this church's future. There's a split possible here. We all have experiences with these when two groups of people get at loggerheads with each other. And division is not what God wants. So what do the apostles do? They bring the church together. And they offer this solution to the church. And I think that is so wise and so Spiritual, because this is what Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer that his people would be one as he and his father are one that the world might know that God the father sent Jesus in this, into this world to be our savior division never honors God unity does And the apostles gave then the solution to the congregation. Instead of seeing the congregation as a problem, which again happens so often, I've, I've seen so many churches where the leadership and the congregation are at odds with each other, as though the congregation itself was a problem. And that's not the case. That's not the way the apostles approached this. The congregation was not a problem. The congregation was actually the solution to the problem. And the apostles very wisely and very spiritually brought them into the picture to deal with this problem that had arisen in the church. And they called these men, seven of them, And by the way, I think this shows, uh, the men that they, they chose, shows how effective the apostles' ministry of the word and prayer had been. Remember, the church hasn't been around for that long. The only instruction was given to them was to choose seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But when you look at these men that were chosen, we see that they were well taught, that they were well grounded in the word of God. These were spiritual men, but they were also wise. They were also practical men. In other words, they had been equipped for service because the apostles had not gotten busy doing too many things. They had devoted themselves to the preaching of the word and to prayer. And so they had developed men with these kind of qualities. Now, we don't know much about most of these men, but we do know quite a bit about Stephen and Philip. The next two chapters tell their story. Stephen was a very effective apologist for the Christian faith, argued regularly with the Jews and eventually was put to death. He was the first martyr of the Christian church. Because the the church was scattered after Stephen was martyred, Philip went to Samaria and it turns out that Philip was a very effective preacher, a very effective evangelist, winning over many in Samaria. The Ethiopian eunuch was a convert of Phillips. So these men that they chose were there because the apostles had done what God had called them to do, what was most important for them to do. How many churches do you know of that when the pastor leaves on vacation, have to call someone in from outside that congregation to preach. Why? Because no one in the congregation has been equipped to do that. Have they not been gifted? I don't believe that. We serve a great God, a very generous God, who has gifted his church in so many ways. People just need to be equipped. And the ministry then... Needs to be shared with these people. And that's the way then the problem in Jerusalem was solved. The distribution of food to the Grecian widows was taken care of, and the problem of favoritism was dealt with. This is something you may miss because we're reading in English, but in Greek, All of these men who were selected were from the Grecian community. They all have Greek names. In fact, one was a Gentile, a proselyte to Judaism, a convert to Judaism. As I said before, it was probably the Hebraic Jews who had been in charge of the distribution of food. And so the congregation saw the wisdom of bringing in people from that Grecian community to oversee that distribution so that both groups of people were being treated fairly. That is both a wise and a spiritual way of dealing with a problem. A problem dealing with a problem in a way that is pleasing to God met the needs of the people and solved the problem of favoritism. So the second way In which church growth facilitates or or excuse me in which uh, sharing the ministry facilitates church growth is that people's needs are met and problems are solved and then we see the result immediately in verse 7 it says so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly sharing the ministry facilitates church growth. Not only numerical, but spiritual. It was the word that spread. Now, how would the word have spread if the apostles themselves had not been freed up to do what God had called them to do, what was most important for them to do? If the apostles had been tied up with distributing food or waiting on tables, as the scripture says here, the word of God and prayer would have been neglected. But because the ministry was shared, the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased. Why would the number of disciples increase? Well, what had they done in the church? They avoided division. They brought the church together. There was unity. And people are attracted to that. People today are looking for community. And when they find that in a church, they are drawn to that. Again, there's no shame in there being a problem in the church. The shame is not dealing with it in a way that is pleasing to God and meets the needs of God's people. What would Alf have said about this? No problem. But we know better. Problems Problems are a reality that we have to deal with. And as long as there are sinners in the church, we are going to have problems in the church. But by God's grace, may we deal with these problems here at Trinity as we face church growth, a good problem to have in a way that is pleasing to God and meets the needs of God's people. May we learn better how to share the ministry among the whole congregation so that the gifts that God has given the church are used in a way that bring glory to him and build up the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wisdom that we find there. We thank you that Jesus is building his church. And we thank you for the way in which he is doing that. Lord, give us a humble spirit as these apostles had. Help us to understand that we need one another. That we are a body, and one part of the body can't say to the other part of the body, I don't need you. Father, give us unity within this body. Father, that we might be a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you for the elders that we have for the commitment I've seen to the teaching of the word, for their commitment uh, to prayer. Lord, I pray that uh, they would commit themselves even more to that, that you would give them wisdom in terms of knowing how to include more people in the ministry. So that people's needs might be met, and any problems that come up solved in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.